My text for this sermon, this Lord's Day, is from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We continue our series on the family this Lord's Day by considering today the duties of parents. And I suspect that this will go on for at least another couple weeks as well. Dear ones, there is not a higher, more holy calling in all of the world than to be a parent. And as in all cases, the higher the calling, the greater the responsibility. For to you parents, God has entrusted the care of an internal soul or souls to train and to prepare for His kingdom and for His glory. And in speaking of the children of believing parents, God even calls them His own children in Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 20 and 21. And therefore, they were outwardly acknowledged to be God's children in the Old Testament by way of the rite of circumcision and likewise in the New Testament by means of baptism. Thus, parents, you are actually God's steward in supervising and managing His inheritance. Therefore, we are not only responsible, dear ones, to see that God's children are not trained according to their own ways, but we are also responsible to see that they are not trained according to our own ways, but rather only trained according to His own ways. This is the only foundation upon which we can safely build our house if we would see it withstand the storms and the floods of life and death that will assail our children. I doubt that I need to make this statement, but in order to be complete, none of us are perfect parents. We all fail to measure up to the standard of God who is a perfect Father. Yet as we acknowledge our desperate need of the Lord Jesus Christ in this area, as in all areas, the Lord, as a patient Father to us, will train us so that we can train our children that He has given to us. Dear ones, we are not left to our own devices. We are not left to our own resources or our own strength in this matter. Praise be to God. Our confidence is not in our arm of the flesh to see our children through, to make our children finally reach heaven. It is not in the final analysis up to us. It is God in whom we hope and in whom we trust for the salvation and welfare of our children. This Lord's Day... Let us consider then two questions in regard to our text from Proverbs 22.6. First of all, what is the training here referred to in Proverbs 22.6? And second, how is this training to be accomplished? Number one then, what is the training here referred to? When we read, train up a child. The Hebrew word used for train up is translated as dedicated, interestingly enough, in Numbers 7.10 and other places in the Old Testament. And in Numbers 7.10, there we find the altar of the Lord was dedicated after being built. Now, if certain buildings... Temporal buildings were rightly dedicated or consecrated to the Lord, how much more so 
is the life of a child whose soul is eternal to be dedicated to, to the Lord who gave it. How we should follow the example of Hannah who gave her son, dedicated her son to the service of the Lord. We have not a temple to, to dedicate our children to a physical building wherein our children might minister. But we dedicate the, uh, to the Lord our children. When they are born, we, through baptism also, we dedicate our children to God's service. We acknowledge that our children belong to Him and we commit them to Him as we do the rest of our life. See, in this sense, child training is properly a religious duty we owe to God and to our child. We also should note that in Genesis 14, 14, our word is used, the word train up, the Hebrew word behind that English translation is used there as well. And it refers to Abraham's trained servants. That is, those who were trained as soldiers. In this sense, child training is not to be viewed as a careless, sporadic event that happens once in a while within our homes. But rather, it is to be viewed as a consistent, diligent, supervised duty which becomes a part, a daily part of our lives. You see, if men are to be trained for battle in a mere earthly conflict for their body's sake, how much more should our children be trained for battle in a spiritual conflict for their soul's sake? It is also worth noting that the same Hebrew word, again translated train up in Proverbs 22.6, was later used by the Jews to refer to the book of catechism that was used to instruct the Hebrew children. In other words, according to the Hebrew language subsequently to the completion of the Bible, to train up meant to catechize, to instruct, to teach your child in the way he should go. <clears throat> this training, dear ones, <clears throat> of a child takes not only the form of words, that is, instruction and reproof, but also the form of chastening, that is, the use of the rod, as we will more fully develop in the next sermon. The next sermon I will seek to devote entirely to the matter of discipline. So many questions I think we as elders receive on that particular issue that it becomes something that we should spend a fair amount of time discussing. Training, dear ones, takes in all that we do for our children and before our children or in the presence of our children. Not just in formal instruction, but in informal conversation. Not simply in worship, but also in play. Not only in words, but also in deeds. Not just how our children act in front of us, but how we act in front of our children as well. Even those who are indeed careless and negligent in the proper training of their children are nevertheless training their children. It's inescapable. Parents will train their children. The only question is, how will their children be trained? Will they be trained in the children's own way, in the parents' own way, or in God's own way? Now, what is the standard for the training of our children? God's Word and God's own example as a perfect father. <clears throat> I say to many of you 
who may fall into this category who hear the sermon this Lord's Day. You may have never had a godly example of parenting to follow from your father or your mother. But you are not doomed to failure as a parent for that reason. You have all the instruction you need in the Scripture where you will not only find precepts concerning parenting. Do this, but don't do that. But you'll also find countless examples of parents who faithfully trained their children as well as many examples of those who were unfaithful in training their children. And furthermore, you have the example of a perfect father and the way God provides for, instructs, loves, encourages, reproves, and chastens His own children. We can never excuse our unfaithful child training, dear ones, by blaming our parents. That will only issue in self-pity and defeat in accomplishing the very goal we are setting out to accomplish and that of being faithful parents. Rather, let us learn to accept our own responsibility in this high and holy calling and rather grow in our understanding and application of the truth to our children. Therefore, there ought not to be a subject that you study as men and women within the congregation and apply more carefully in your practical Christian living than learning to be a wise and godly parent. True religion, dear ones, begins in your own heart and issues in your family. Sometimes we get so caught up in discussing various theological matters which no doubt are very important. But we may, in the process, neglect the daily training of our children in the ways of the Lord. We must be careful not to neglect those duties. In fact, the importance God places upon parenting is revealed in the qualifications which the Lord reveals concerning the elders in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, Notice what the Lord says with regard to those who would serve as elders in the church. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? And then again in Titus, Chapter 1, verse 6, where it says, Having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly. God takes these matters ever so seriously, dear ones. Sound doctrine is absolutely essential to the Christian life. But sound doctrine that is not lived out in the way a father and a mother train their children is really worthless to them and to their children. What is the goal of child training then? Well, ultimately, as in all things, it is to glorify God. To reflect the glory of God. For we cannot add to His glory. We cannot make God more glorious than He is. But we can reflect His glory by shining forth the mercy and the grace of God in the lives of ourselves and our children. I believe this has no doubt been the experience of all parents 
There is nothing more humbling in life than child training. Here we see not only our children's sins, but we also see so clearly our own sin. Here we not only see our children's desperate need of Jesus Christ, but we see our own desperate need of Jesus Christ. Faithful parenting is not the result of your goodness or mine, your techniques or mine. It is not the result of your strength or mine, but it is the result of God's grace, Christ's righteousness, and the Spirit's sanctification alone. You see, at all times as parents, we must declare with Paul, we are what we are by the grace of God. Let me quickly note that there are two temporal goals toward which our child training should be directed. A lawful calling and marriage. Two temporal goals. We should always be training our children with those two goals in mind. We may not be giving much thought about a lawful calling or marriage while our children are yet in their infancy. However, we should be praying that the Lord would direct our children to a lawful calling wherein they might glorify the Lord. And we should be praying that God would give to them a godly spouse as well. As we see certain interests come alive in the lives of our children, we should channel those interests in the right direction of a lawful calling that will glorify the Lord. And as I've mentioned in an earlier sermon regarding the importance of preparing our children for marriage as parents, we have a most crucial role to play in that respect. Parents, the future of your posterity hinges to a great deal from a human perspective upon preparing your child to be a godly spouse and teaching your child what to look for in a future spouse. But not only are there temporal goals toward which child training should be directed, but eternal goals as well. The salvation of their souls and the promotion of Christ's kingdom. You cannot forget, or rather, you can forget about the college your, your child graduated from. You can forget all the honors he achieved, the prestige he attained in his calling, or the amount of money he earned. For none of that ultimately matters, dear ones, if he spends an eternity in hell. It's all worthless. It's all vain. In the final analysis, all that really matters is the state of our child's soul. Dear ones, is your child training consciously directed to the eternal salvation of your child. Although parents cannot save their children's souls, they are one of the most significant means by which God does lead children to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Dads and moms, are you more concerned that your children have fun, eat right, get good dental checkups, get a good education, than that they embrace the Lord Jesus Christ alone for their eternal salvation? It's important that they eat right and get good checkups and have a good education. But it in no wise compares to their soul the salvation of their soul. 
For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 16.26. The second main point this Lord's Day is this. How is this training of our children to be accomplished? Here I simply desire to list several ways in which we should be training our children if we would do so with God's blessing. It's not intended to be an exhaustive list. I'm sure you will be able to add to it. But I summarize some of the most significant things you should consider in the training of your children. First of all, train them with much love and affection. Parents, our children should know the way of tenderness from us. Fathers, first of all, it is not going to make your son a sissy to show him affection by hugging him and treating him with tenderness. Fathers who believe they need to toughen up their sons by being harsh or severe with their sons in the way they treat them may actually lead their sons to despair of ever wanting to be a man like Dad. Remember what Solomon says in Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The Apostle Paul also says in Colossians 3.21, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. You see, the severe and harsh approach with children may actually frighten them into submission. That is true. You may get outward submission from that mode, that method, but it will not in and of itself persuade the child that you are right or bring them about by way of a willing submission, a cheerful submission. I know the tone of your voice is very important when you're speaking to your, your child especially when you're trying to get the child's attention. But be ever so careful, dear ones, that you also balance that out by playing with your children, by laughing with your children, by spending time with your children, by taking your children with you to run errands. Let them not only see that dad can occasionally be severe when necessary, but that he is ordinarily a tender, affectionate man, both with mom and with the children. Remember that a slavish fear in a child drives him not to you, but away from you. But a parental reverence and affection within a child drives him to you. It's the same way in the spiritual life, even as the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, a term of affection, Abba, closeness. Now, I address a few remarks to mothers in regard to expressing love and affection. Mothers, to the other extreme, be careful that you do not over, overindulge your children, thinking that love means giving them whatever they want. Not being willing to draw the line and say, no, you cannot have that. No, that is not good for you. Your crying will not get you what you want. Beware of spoiling your children, dear mothers, 
and allowing their tears to guide you in whichever direction the child desires. Have you ever thought about the word spoil with regard to children? How that came into use? Well, no doubt, to spoil children has to do with giving them their way, which brings about ruin to their very souls. If you want to ruin the soul or souls of your children, spoil them by giving them whatever they desire and overindulging them. Furthermore, overindulgence will make a child lazy. It will accomplish some things. It will make a child lazy, dependent, and self-absorbed with only his own world desires, his own cares. I urge you, don't let your children express themselves in whichever way they choose. There's a popular philosophical or psychological fad out there teaching that we ought to allow our children to express themselves. Be careful, dear parents, of this particular philosophy, whether it's expressing themselves by way of fads in clothing, fads in hairstyle, fads in speech. Be careful of allowing the self-expression to become detrimental to their own souls. Parents, we should allow the description of love given in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, to keep us properly balanced in regard to our child training. There I read for you, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Use this as a model, as a guide as to how you are to love your children. If, it, if it's necessary for you to keep this in your mind, post it on the refrigerator, on your bulletin board, read it carefully so that you have the proper understanding of what love, biblical love is. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. Charity never faileth. We don't know how long the Lord will grant us the privilege of raising His children. Let us not fail to let our children hear from us, I love you. Before they fall asleep, Let these words ring in their ears. I love you. The second way in which we ought to train our children. Train your children knowing their natural bent toward evil. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Psalm 58.3 There the psalmist, again, describes for us the nature of children. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Children do not need to go to school to learn how to lie, to learn how to be disrespectful, to learn to be disobedient, 
to learn to fight with their brothers or sisters or to learn to cry wanting all of their desires met. That's the nature with which they were born and with which we were born. Gardening season is upon us again. Springtime. How many of us are shocked when we look into our garden and see weeds growing and springing up in our garden? Did you sow them there? Did you plant those weeds? Of course not. They're in the soil. All they need is a little bit of water and sunshine, and there they grow. However, you probably don't freak out upon seeing a weed growing in your garden or weeds growing in your garden. You rather expect that that will happen and you take the necessary steps to remove those weeds and to prevent them from spreading. And so it is, dear ones, with our children. Set your expectations that your children will indeed sin. They're not perfect. They're not sinless. Set your expectations accordingly. Even as parents sin. Even as pastors and elders sin, so will children sin. They, like us, therefore, need the Lord Jesus Christ to give them the grace in order to deliver them from their sin. Remember that the manifestation of sin in our children is an excellent opportunity to impress upon them their need of the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Here you have the opportunity, dear ones, if you avail yourselves of it, to daily present the gospel to your children. So that seven days a week, and as many days in the month and in the year, and as long as they're under your roof, they have an opportunity to hear and to see the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not in any way saying that we should condone or excuse the sin of our children. I am simply saying we should expect that it will happen and not be shocked when somebody comes up to us and says, do you know what your child said? Do you know what your child did? It's not the end of the world. It is embarrassing, perhaps shameful when that happens. But they're sinners. They're bent in that direction and they need a Savior. Number three, the third way then to train our children. Train them to respect their elders. That is, train them to respect all those who hold a place of lawful authority. If our boys do not learn this respect in the home with dad and mom, they will no doubt have a very hard time as they grow in holding any kind of a job because they will always be in conflict with their boss. And our girls will likewise find it difficult to be submissive to their husbands in their own marriages if they do not learn respect in the home. Furthermore, if we do not take the time to instill in our children respect for elders, how will they ever learn to respect the Lord God who created them, who offers them salvation, I find it most instructive, dear ones, as we look at Luke 2.51, that even the Lord Jesus Christ, when He became flesh, 
and dwelt among us. And as a babe and as a young child, it says, he was subject to his own parents. He submitted. Being God, he submitted to his parents. And so we should instruct our children to follow in the Lord's steps. Fourthly, train your children to love the truth. Never respond to serious questions put to you by your children by saying, I don't know, but we've always done it that way. Or, that's what your grandpa and your great-grandpa believed, and that's what we're going to believe and practice as well. If you don't know the answer to a question that a child puts to you, simply be honest and say, I don't know exactly how to respond to that question right now. But give me a little time and I'll get back to you and I will give you an answer to that question. And when you give an answer to a question presented to you, dear ones, use the Scriptures. Use the authority of God and tell them God says this. God says that. You know, the catechism is a great tool in teaching and instructing our children. But we must, in answering questions, not simply go to the catechism. We must go to the Word of God and say, this is what the Bible says. And then we can show them that the catechism also confirms the teaching of Scripture and explains it more fully. But take them to the Word of God, dear ones. <clears throat> if our children are trained to love the truth, they will also be trained to speak the truth. Excuse your children's gross exaggerations or misrepresentations of the truth or their lying. Condone it. Do not deal with it. Sweep it under the carpet and you will destroy the very foundation of trust between you and your child. For you cannot trust one who does not tell the truth. Do we trust Satan? Of course not. Why? Because he's the father of lies. Do we trust God? Of course we do. Why? Because he cannot lie. If you would have an open relationship with your children an honest relationship with your children so that they come to you when they have a problem rather than going to a friend or somebody else's parent. Teach them to love the truth. Fifth, the fifth way that we ought to train our children, train your children to work hard. Don't let them spend their whole day in playing and recreation. Yes, recreation is an important part of the day in breaking up the day. Not in spending the whole day, but in breaking up the other activities in the day. You ought not to consume, however, the whole day in playing and recreation. Plan your children's day with chores, even beginning when they're very young, to give them little things that they can do around the house, if nothing else, to pick up their own toys. And even before they know how to put them into the toy box, showing them how to do so. Training them with chores as they grow up. More responsibility in the house and outside the house. Giving them work to do as well by way of their studies their homeschooling activities and their homework. Giving them works of mercy 
that they can can show toward people who are in need within the congregation, sending them over perhaps to help a needy family, to clean the house, to do some yard work. Thinking of ways in which we can keep our children active and helping others. Perhaps we can teach them and and show them how to begin writing letters, give them pen pals that they can write letters to, another activity that helps develop their thinking, their mind, their writing skills. Giving them good, sound literature to read. Not just letting them pick up whatever trash they might want to read, but giving to them, directing them in, in good, sound literature as well as having those times to go about, run, and play. You see, dear ones, idleness and pleasure-seeking will only breed discontentment and discouragement when later on in their life, God brings afflictions and trials their way. They won't know how to handle it if all they're used to is having a good time and fun and doing what they want to do. Sixthly, train your children by way of your own example. We usually think of training as being what we say to our children. But let me again note that our actions speak louder than our words especially with children who are more prone to learn by way of what they see than by way of what they hear. Therefore, your godly example is absolutely essential to their training. You know, children are just little imitators, just waiting to imitate mom and dad in this and that. Just by observing the family as you bow your head in prayer around the table and begin praying. A little child eventually, you may hear down in the corner where the little one is, beginning to mumble and utter strange sounds because the child is imitating, wanting to participate. You haven't instructed necessarily the meaning of prayer or anything like this, but they just follow that example. That's the way little children are. You cannot live a different life than you tell your children to live. They'll see through the hypocrisy of it all. And in this regard, the example of parents and how parents treat one another, how a husband loves his wife cherishes her, cares for her, and how a wife loves her husband and submits to his lawful authority. That is one of the best ways to teach your children about family living, about their role and place in life as young men and young women. There is not a more potent way of training and teaching than through your example. When, dear parents, when your children see you embrace one another, they may say, oh, that's icky, or they may have their own little terms as they look on that. But down in their heart, they love it. They love to see mom and dad. That's security to them. That's a place where they can find comfort and it teaches and trains them in how they are to treat one another and to treat their future spouses. I urge you, don't tell your children to walk the narrow path. Don't just tell them to walk the narrow path. Show them how to walk it and invite them to follow you to walk in your steps. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 17. Very sobering words. 
Luke 17, verses 1 through 3a, the first part of verse 3. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. Therefore him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea, then that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ with regard to the seriousness of living, not setting stumbling blocks before our children by our own example, but living by God's grace, not perfect lives, faithful lives, even teaching them that when we fall by our example, we come before them. When we have sinned against them, we confess our sin to them. We ask them to forgive us. We humble ourselves. We're not too proud as adults to humble ourselves. When they see that, they learn to appreciate the whole reconciliation process. If dad can do it, if mom can do it, it's good for me too. And when they see, after a spat between mom and dad, that mom and dad know how to make up, to repent, to seek forgiveness, that will so impress your children, dear ones. Seventh, train your children by giving them a Christian education. I know that a sound Christian education will be either expensive or time-consuming, but what a means of grace in drawing our children unto Christ. Homeschooling must not entirely, therefore, fall upon the shoulders of mom. Although she will be primarily responsible, dad must be involved as much as he can in encouraging mom and encouraging the children, in teaching the children in areas where mom feels she's weak, and in providing the tools, the curriculum, to get the job done. This is one of those sacrifices of love, dear ones, wherein you must not only look at the present hardships, because homeschooling has its hardships, its times of discouragement. But we must look beyond the present hardships to the future benefits. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, something that you, dear moms, should always keep in mind. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You're not going through some vain practice in homeschooling your children. It is a sacrifice of love and you are investing your very life into your dear children. And moms, don't be so discouraged that you don't have, at least in your estimation, all the gifts that you think you need to give your children a quality, solid Christian education. Rather focus on the gifts you do have and pour yourself into your children rather than being discouraged about what you think you lack. God will bless the little that we offer to Him and multiply it, even as He multiplied the few bread and fishes to feed the thousands. So the Lord can multiply the little that you have or the little that it may seem that you have to feed your children more than abundantly. And finally, train your children in the use of the means of grace. Our children should not be strangers 
to the Word of God, to baptism and prayer. From their earliest days, we should read the Scripture to them and pray with them. We should teach them what their baptism, in fact, means as they're able to understand, as they grow to to instruct them as to what that meant when they were baptized, as they witnessed the baptism of other children. Even before they can read the Bible for themselves, we can begin teaching them how to pray very simple prayers by repeating a prayer after us. As they grow, we can listen to the prayers they offer to God at night beside their beds. And so instruct them in the way to pray. Older children can write out their prayers for you to read. Or you can give them a brief summary of the main points to be covered in prayer. The little acronym, CATS, Confession. Adoration, thanksgiving, and supplication. And then give them a few ideas what they ought to, under each of those categories, be praying for as they're able to read and follow an outline. You can teach them as they further mature the Lord's Prayer and explain to them each of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer so that they can express by way of thanksgiving and petition to the Lord. And then when our children are able to read the Scripture for themselves, they should be directed in having their own secret worship. When they awaken each day and before they fall asleep at night, so says the Directory for Family Worship, that that ought to be what is going on in each of our lives. Of course, we can't expect that of our children if we as parents aren't doing the same. But that's what we should be following. Morning and evening, a time of secret worship with God, opening the day and closing the day. And then following upon secret worship, the importance of family worship, catechism, instruction in a family context, training our children from the scriptures as well, reading them some of the great biographies of the martyrs and Christian saints praying together for the needs of the family. And then directing them to proper honor of the Lord's Day and corporate worship. And dear ones, we should not in any of these duties enter into them begrudgingly. We should not attend upon them in any way as if our heart is elsewhere. how we should continuously remind ourselves and our children how subtle is the sin of hypocrisy and apathy in creeping into our worship so that we simply go through the mere outward motions of worship while our heart is far from the Lord. We can worship the Lord according to all the right forms. But dear ones, if our heart is far from Him, it is an abomination to the Lord. The law of God is an essential part of our child's training. But never ever leave them in a state where they merely feel the sting of God's law upon their conscience. Direct them to the Lord Jesus Christ through the means of God's grace. Assure them that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. They must always know, dear ones, that Christ is able and willing to help them. They should hear from us as parents that Christ is more willing to give His grace to those who come than they who come are willing to receive it. They must know Christ invites them and opens His arms to them to come to Him. 
they must know, just as you must know, that he will not cast any out who come unto him. Not even one. Not the greatest of sinners. Not the least of sinners. He will cast not one out. Invite your children continuously throughout the week. Invite them to come to Christ. Please stand with me in prayer. Our gracious Father, we do humble ourselves before Thee. For in training our children, we see how much we need Christ. We see how much we need Christ in our lives. We see how much our children need Thee and all men. For Lord, we are sinners. We have fallen short of the glory of God. But by Thy grace, Thou hast given to us eternal life. And Lord God, we would seek to lead our children in the paths of righteousness and truth. We pray, Father, that Thou would cause us to take to heart the Word which has been preached this day, the exhortation that has been given to Thy people. Let us not turn a deaf ear to these words, but let us, Lord, rather learn by them. Apply them in our hearts and in our lives. We pray, Father, that Thou would show forth and pour forth Thy grace into the lives of all of our covenant children. O oh, Lord, we pray that none would turn their backs upon Thee, that none would take Thee for granted, but that, Father, Thou would draw them unto Thyself and grant to them faith to trust Thee as their only hope of eternal salvation. And grant, O oh Lord our God, to the single parents within our congregation the grace to see that what they seem to lack in having the other parent, O oh Lord our God, Thou wilt more than abundantly make up for we ask our Father that their trust as well would be in Thee, that they would lean not upon their own understanding, but commit all their ways unto Thee. We ask, Lord, that Thou would supply them with Thy grace as well. We do, Father, cling to Christ now, seeking only His blessing upon our families. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-4730, by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. 
For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.